Welcome to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. In this podcast, financial planner Peter Raskin helps families and business owners understand and prepare for their wealth journey. Along the way, thoughtful and detailed planning can provide clarity and confidence as clients confront a multitude of financial decisions. Listen in as Peter shares stories and insight into people's wealth journeys. Now, let's get into today's podcast. Hello and welcome to Wealth is in the Details with Peter Raskin from Raskin Planning Group. Today, we are covering part two of tax planning is a year-round process. Good morning, Peter. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you, Eric? Doing real well. Uh, I'm excited to get into part two. I know that we covered a lot in part one. And for those listeners that are just joining us today, or this is their first time listening to your podcast, can you give us a recap of what part one was all about? Sure. Part one was tax planning basics. We're really just discussing things like ordinary income, deductions, capital gains, marginal and effective tax rates. My goal for part one was just to bring people up to speed about the language of tax planning. And not that, not that we're making anyone any, an expert, but I would recommend if these are terms that you're not familiar with, that you go back to part one and, and take a listen, and that will help you understand some of these strategies and concepts that we'll talk about today. Got it. All right. So where are we starting with today's podcast then? Yeah, I think the first thing I want to talk about is, is really just giving you my point of view around tax planning. Uh, in, in my opinion, and the way we approach it is that taxes are important. Tax reduction is a, is a worthwhile objective exercise, uh, things to think about. But nevertheless, strategies around tax planning are implemented to, to help you meet personal goals. It's not to just reduce taxes for the sake of tax reduction. We want to avoid the tax tail wagging the planning dog. Mm. So throughout this podcast, I'll, I'll give you some examples of, of tax-focused planning, kind of gone awry or j just you know didn't work out exactly how people wanted. It wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but, but we'll talk about that. Absolutely. And I know that tax planning is part of just a small piece of an entire strategy for, for a client. So how, yeah, how do you start with that? Exactly. It's, it's just part of, of planning. And overall, planning to us is, is a totally integrated process. So your, your tax form focused decisions now will have consequences in the future. You may be familiar with that whack-a-mole game where... <laughs> yeah. You, you hit the block and something else pops up. Mm -hmm. uh, and so in tax planning, it's, it's very similar to that. Taxes not paid today might pop up again at some later point. And, and there, these unintended consequences could be more costly than if we just paid the initial tax. So like so much of, of planning and financial work that we do, specific strategies need to be implemented within the context of a broader plan. By doing that, we think you get much better results. I think that's a great analogy because everybody needs to be ready with hammer in hand, right? The tools that you need to use to knock out those taxes or to take care of those different things. But it's not setting down the hammer after you smack one or two of them. You've got to be ready in case something else comes up. That's a great analogy. And another thing that will come up in the future is that tax planning is going to change. Mm -hmm. So be prepared for changes to, to tax laws, 
we see it every few years that there's a, a major tax overhaul that promises both simplification, tax reduction, tax fairness, and those advantages may be in the eyes of the beholder, but expect that with uh, new administrations, new political parties in charge, that there will be changes in the future. Just for example, the most recent uh, tax legislation that was passed in effective January of 2018 called the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act sunsets after January 1st, 2026. So changes are going to happen. We just don't know what they're going to look like. Yeah, it's kind of. I find that kind of funny that we're changing these tax laws, or we're changing these laws because we want things to be better. But you know what? We're going to put a date in there where we're going to change them again, just because. <laughs> and I know that's going to be reassessing things, but it's like, oh man, really? Can we just find one good fix once and for all and be done with it? They do it so they can pass certain provisions because mm-hmm. if they don't sunset some of these laws, they give big tax breaks, they can't get through all of the the benefits. They can't give us all the benefits. Oh, that's that true. They, that's true. They, good point. They describe anyway. All right. Well, that's a great point. Where do we go from here then? What What's your next bit of advice? Now that you understand kind of our point of view that this is part of just the comprehensive plan, that our primary goal is to meet objectives and that taxes are likely to change in the future. I think we can talk uh, specifically about what strategies we look toward over, over a long period of time. All right. So the, the first one I want to talk about is tax deferral, probably the most prevalent strategy. And in, in when, we, when we're looking at talking about tax deferral, really what we're, we're trying to do is defer income, wages, investment income, capital gains until a future date. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to avoid them necessarily, but we want to defer the recognition of that gain. So ideally, if you defer income today while you're in a higher marginal tax bracket, when you recognize the income in later years, you may be in a lower tax bracket. And therefore, by being now in a lower tax bracket or in the future in a lower tax bracket, you'll actually uh, be able to to reduce the total tax that you paid. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, by deferring the tax, you've had the the use of those funds and, and you can invest them. And that can be a good thing. So you have more money working for you. Yeah. And tax deferred plans that, that, that most people are familiar with include 401k plans, 403b plans for nonprofits, profit sharing, pension plans, and really it, it, those... Tr- traditional IRAs, they're all great for deferring income. So you don't pay tax now mm-hmm. on the amount you contribute to these plans and all the earnings can accumulate tax deferred. So that's the advantage. That could definitely be a huge advantage. Peter, are there other tax deferred strategies that you guys use? Yeah, many of the retirement plan accounts that I just mentioned, 401ks, IRAs, they have limitations. And for those clients that want to contribute additional dollars into a tax-deferred account, tax-deferred annuities Mm. are often used. The income can be invested in safe and guaranteed accounts as well as mutual fund-like accounts and can grow over a long period of time. And then when the income is withdrawn, uh, taxes will be due at that point. That all sounds great, Peter, but are there any negative consequences to these tax-deferred accounts? Yeah, there are. 
one of the uh, negatives is that, that the asset in the investment may not be available and liquid at all times. Mm -hmm. So if you're younger than age 59 and a half, uh, the IRS imposes a 10% penalty tax on withdrawals. Plus you have to pay regular income taxes on the, on the taxable amount you, you withdraw. Mm -hmm. So you don't use these kinds of accounts to, to save for uh, Christmas presents or vacations or cars. Got it. These are really long-term uh, strategies geared for retirement. So if you do have to take money out for an emergency, tax deferral really loses its luster when you consider that ordinary income tax and that 10%, 10 penalty tax that's due. And some of those plans like 401ks, and I'm not sure about 403bs, to be honest with you, but some of them allow you to take a loan out on your own account and pay yourself back with interest, if I'm not mistaken. And that may be a way to avoid those penalties, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's that provides some liquidity. Although we, from a planning perspective, we try to avoid borrowing on your retirement accounts because then the money's not compounding and growing for you. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that, that's very true. There is one more uh, thing to consider, and this is really more of a long-term consideration because when you're starting to accumulate or, or for retirement, you don't necessarily know what the future will bear. So it is important to have this a long-term perspective. And as you're moving through the accumulation stage, think about what the future uh, will look like. So it is possible to have too much invested in these qualified retirement plans. As an example, hmm. I'll describe a client of ours, John and Sally, who are high-income professionals, great savers. They love to work. They've been maximizing all their available retirement plans for over 30 years. They've been aggressive investors in the stock market, and the stock market's done quite well, so they've got good returns. Anyway, they love their work, and while they're approaching retirement, they're saying, well, what next? How do we, what do we do now that we've built up over, over $4 million in our in our retirement nest egg, our retirement plans. Hmm. And while that's significant and would make most people very happy, when we did the planning and we looked ahead, it turns out that unfortunately, during retirement, they're still gonna be in a really high marginal tax bracket. When you consider their, their income, they, they will continue to work, they'll have investment income, they'll have social security, mm -hmm. uh, they wanna serve on, on on boards and they'll receive some additional income from that. So they're gonna be in a high tax bracket. And then when you add in the fact that the IRS requires them to, to take distributions, mm -hmm. they're called required minimum distributions from these IRA accounts, uh, they're, they've lost control. So they're saying, what now, what do we do? And another negative is that when their kids receive receive these assets, they'll have to pay taxes on them then. And so from a tax efficiency perspective, these kinds of retirement plans are, are just less tax efficient. And it, it surprised the client. Hmm. So the fact is, is that they deferred income taxes for many, many years, very happy they did that, got the great use of money, got the monies invested. And they didn't do anything wrong. These are good things that they did. They implemented good plans, but there were unintended consequences to, to this good planning. And that just means ongoing high taxable income. 
And I know that we have the ability to talk about this in a future podcast, but I'm assuming that if you have clients in a situation like this, there's got to be some sort of strategies uh, to help alleviate what is looming or what could possibly be a huge tax hit to them. Yeah, there, there's some things that we can do to um, reduce or to think ahead and plan ahead. Mm-hmm. And I will talk a bit about that uh, today and on future podcasts as well. Fantastic. Sounds good. Another uh, tax deferral strategy that we often talk to our clients with, and, and many people don't don't really think about it this way, but instead of investing in assets that are going to produce current taxable income, they can invest in assets that are appreciating in value and where they don't pay any current taxes on that appreciation until the asset is sold. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you own a stock and you hold it for 10 years, your your original purchase price was $10 and now it's increased to $100. During the time you you owned it over that 10-year period, you haven't paid any taxes or capital gains until the stock is sold. Mm -hmm. And so I think of that as tax deferral. Yeah, in a way it is. You're right. Yeah. So stocks, real estate are good examples of this. Uh, another another advantage of investment real estate is that you can sell a piece of property that is appreciated in value and exchange it for another piece of property without realizing a gain and paying a tax on that gain. How long do you have to do that? Well, it's, it's very uh, complicated. There's lots of hoops that you have to go through, but you've got to, you've got to really uh, know your plan before you even begin selling the existing piece of real estate. Mm-hmm. You've got to find a, a new piece of property, and it's all got to happen within a certain period of time. Uh, so it, 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 it needs to be done correctly. There's legal costs. Uh, it, it, it's hard to do but it can be done and it's done very often so, because it's so advantageous. That would be, that would be a great podcast. Peter, I know you're connected to the community with, with folks around you, also professionals around you. Are there a few professionals that we could bring in as guests uh, for a podcast to talk specifically about uh, some, maybe some real estate investment strategies? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. that'd be fantastic. All right. I'm looking forward to that. I'm writing that down right now, by the way. <laughs> so, oh, okay, so we do that, all right? Do it. Great. All right, so where do we go from here? Uh, do we have any other tax deferral strategies that we want to talk about, or are we moving on? Yeah, I think we've completed our discussion about tax deferral at this point, and we can move on. All right, what's next? Well, tax deferral is good. Doesn't everyone prefer tax-free? I oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about tax-free. <laughs> yeah, we all like free. <laughs> One of the things that not all of our clients can can really take advantage of, but I wanted I want to put it out there, is that there are some states that offer tax free income, no sale no sales charges on purchases, mm-hmm. so that is advantageous. Not everyone can take advantage of it. Uh, if you live in Massachusetts. Uh, you'd have to move to even colder New Hampshire to to take advantage of that. Or if you're a uh, a snowbird and, and you want to uh, move down to Florida, uh, there are some advantages to to doing so from a tax perspective, at least in in that state. Hmm. But I would say uh, most of our clients are are not going to do that. 
for just the tax savings. There's other reasons that they want to move to a, a tax-free state. So if you, just a quick question on this, let's say you are a snowbird and you are going to be down in Florida for five, six months out of the year to avoid those cold, cold days. Can you make that your primary residence or do you know the specific, or can you share with us the specific rules or laws that govern that? You know, how much time do you have to spend in that state for it to be your home state so you can take care of it there? Yeah, you you really have to be uh, six months living in in Florida, for example, to to qualify as a resident. You've got mm-hmm. to register to vote there. You've got to file your taxes there. You have to own uh, register your cars. We, we we recommend that you have professional advisors there. It really needs to be your your residence. Unfortunately, the reason why you need to really quantify or provide evidence that you are a full-time resident is because the, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts or Connecticut or California, wherever, whatever high state tax you, you have a residence in is going to come after you. Mm-hmm. They want you to pay taxes in their state. Of course. So you do need to keep track of, of the time that you're living in, in the state that you, uh, that is tax-free. Mm-hmm. Got it. All right. Thank you probably the most prevalent tax-free uh, option for, for our clients are tax-free municipal bonds. And they're great options for, for many investors, especially those in the, the higher tax brackets. And these bonds are typically held by individuals and other tax-paying entities like, like corporations. And the income is tax-free at the federal level and could be at the state level as well. Mm-hmm. So they're great options. They're they're conservative investment. It's low income, low risk. So there there isn't a lot of upside, and they may not actually meet all of your uh, investment objectives. Hmm. Primarily because bonds may not keep up with inflation. Yeah, and therefore they're good, and they should be part of a, a portfolio. But they may not be the the sole solution to tax free investing. All right. So once we've looked at, at at those options, like moving to a tax-free state, municipal bonds, holding appreciated assets, so you're not paying taxes currently, but but eventually you might have to, mm-hmm. uh, we look to other vehicles and strategies. And these are very specific to the need of the client and the circumstance. So I'll spend a few minutes talking about each of these and this is a great, these are great tools. Okay. So the first example that many people have heard of are Roth, Roth IRAs, Roth 401ks. They're wonderful. Another vehicle are health savings accounts, 529 education accounts, ABLE accounts. Many people have not heard of ABLE accounts. And then finally, charitable donor advised funds. And these can all offer uh, those investors, tax-free income and growth. But as I said before, they may not all be appropriate and they may have specific advantages that you can't take advantage of. So you may not, you, you may just not do them at all, Yeah. but they are available. The beauty of all these accounts is they take advantage of the magic of compound interest and accumulation in a tax-free environment. So if you're, if you've got time, and you can be a long-term investor, these strategies really sing. They, they can accumulate and grow. And then that's when investors and savers can really see the tremendous benefits. 
Sounds good. So let me describe specifically, I'm not going to go into every detail of, of, and nuance of each of these strategies, but this is just more of a general discussion, mm-hmm. but uh, Roth IRAs and Roth 401ks and health savings accounts are all about retirement. Uh, Roth, Roth accounts don't allow for any tax deductions for your contributions, but your earnings will grow tax-free and your, and your withdrawals can be tax-free, especially if you wait until age 59 and a half. Mm-hmm. Another great advantage of, of Roths uh, is that the required that there aren't any required minimum distributions at age 70 and a half. Nice. And that's really important, especially for those people that have a lot of taxable income in retirement. And we'll, in the next podcast, we'll specifically be talking about kind of the timing of when money can be distributed out of a, a Roth account and when money should be distributed out of a taxable IRA. All right. Another advantage is the Roth IRAs are inherited by children and they don't have to pay any income taxes on that. That's a, that's a plus for sure. Yes. Yeah. So Roths are great. We, we often recommend them. Another great tool are 529 education accounts, and they're great for, for young families trying to save for college. All the income is tax-free if it's used to pay for college and withdrawals are tax-free. So there could be some small state tax benefits if, if you live in a state that offers this benefits. Many do. Massachusetts does, Vermont does, and a lot of other states offer some very small uh, tax state tax benefits. Uh, and that may decide which 529 plan you're actually utilizing. All right. So 529 plans are great. Another uh, strategy that we don't talk about that often, but I think it's an important uh, uh, option for people. And those are called ABLE accounts. And they're great if you have a child or a grandchild with a special needs. And the advantage of these ABLE accounts is that the income that accumulates is tax-free if it's used to pay for qualified disability expenses. There are lots of restrictions, Mm -hmm. but for the right circumstance, I think they're wonderful. They're, they're fairly new vehicles, but they, they really are a good option for those families that have a need for it. I would love to make that a podcast. Yeah, they're really special needs planning uh, is uh, such an important uh, planning uh, tool that's available. And we, we, we certainly should do that. Okay. We'll put on the calendar for sure. Yeah. All right. What's next? I would say the health savings accounts are, are oh, probably yeah. the, the most underutilized gem uh, for tax-free strategies. Mm-hmm. They're, I think of it as a, uh, a triple tax-free win. Your contributions are tax-free, your income is tax-deferred, mm-hmm. and your withdrawals are tax-free if you're use, using it to pay for qualified medical expenses. So they're just, they're fantastic. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, not everyone is eligible for them. You have to participate in a high deductible health insurance plan, and not every company offers them. I consider them really fantastic options for retirement income. And the reason I say that is while you can use them to pay for qualified medical expenses now, so you incur, you, you, mm-hmm. you participate in a health, health savings account, you incur a, uh, a unreimbursed qualified medical expense, you can take money out tax-free. That's great. But I think about the advantages that, that these dollars can compound and grow for 
10, 15, and 30 years. Oh, wow. And then you can take the monies out tax-free in retirement for qualified medical expenses during retirement. And here's the, here's the real uh, benefit is if you save your receipts over that 10, 15, and 20-year period and you, you, have rece- you have medical expenses that were not reimbursed by your HSA, you can get reimbursed for those expenses 20 and 30 years later, tax-free. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. So that's, I think they're really cool. Uh, we, we strongly recommend uh, that, that people participate and take advantage of them. Well, absolutely. I mean, everybody knows that as you get older, you will have more visits to the doctor. You will have more expenses coming up. So this is a great plan to, to start now. Yeah, definitely. There are limitations. Unfortunately, we, we, you can't put in that much, but take advantage of it w- uh, when you can. Mm-hmm. I was going to talk about asset location today as a, a another strategy, but mm-hmm. I think running a little bit late. So I think we'll move that to the next podcast. Okay. That's, does that seem okay? Yeah, that sounds great. What else are we talking about on the next podcast? Yeah. So we'll, we'll talk about asset location. And for me, that's, that's the decision-making around which assets you want uh, invested in certain strategies mm-hmm. in order to maximize the tax consequences okay. uh, in the future. But we'll also talk about tax bracket planning. Mm-hmm. Another item is income and deduction timing. Investment tax management is huge for long-term investors, especially those that are investing in non-retirement accounts. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk about gifting strategies, how to leverage gifts in order to reduce uh, family taxation. And then finally, uh, we'll talk about uh, death and taxes. Oh, fun. As, yes, <laughs> fun, fun, but a very important part of uh, yeah. overall tax planning. Oh, absolutely. It, it has to be done for sure. Eric, I've got two important points I want to pass on before we end today. Number one, variable annuities typically offer contract owners a wide variety of investment subaccounts. Many annuities don't have upfront sales charges, but there may be a surrender charge if withdrawals are made. The surrender charge will typically decline over many years and may drop to zero. For example, there could be a surrender charge in the first contract year, a 3% surrender charge in the seventh contract year, and no surrender charge starting in the eighth contract year. Also, I want to mention that municipal bonds are susceptible to fluctuations in interest rates. If interest rates rise, market prices of bonds will typically decline, despite the lack of change in both the coupon rate and maturity of the bond. Bonds with longer maturities are generally more susceptible to changes in interest rates, and municipal bonds are also subject to call risk. Many municipal bonds carry provisions that allow the issuer to call or redeem the bond prior to the actual maturity date. All right, Peter. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It was great and very informational. I look forward to the next one. And thank you, everyone, for listening to the Wealth is in the Details podcast with Peter Raskin. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Peter comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. For everyone at Raskin Planning Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest 
and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Peter Raskin is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Securities offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker, dealer, member SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Sagemark Consulting, a division of Lincoln Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Affiliates and other fine companies. Raskin Planning Group is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances. Variable annuities typically offer contract owners a wide variety of investment subaccounts. Many annuities do not have upfront sales charge, but there may be a surrender charge if withdrawals are made. The surrender charge will typically decline over many years and may drop to zero. For example, there could be a 7% surrender charge in the first contract year, a 3% surrender charge in the seventh contract year, and no surrender charge starting in the eighth contract year. Municipal bonds are susceptible to fluctuations in interest rates. If interest rates rise, market prices of bonds will typically decline, despite the lack of change in both the coupon rate and maturity of the bond. Bonds with longer maturities are generally more susceptible to changes in interest rates. Municipal bonds are also subject to call risk. Many municipal bonds carry provisions that allow the issuer to call or redeem the bond prior to the actual maturity date.